week on Disaffected, we'll check back in on a story we told you about last week about allegedly racist hiring practices that Bloomberg News got wrong and subsequently we got wrong too. Then we're going to talk to canceled Broadway veteran singer and actor Clifton Duncan and ask him what New York artists are really like as people as compared to what he thought before his cancellation. And then we're going to wrap up by looking at the recent spate of murdered white Marxist social justice activists that happened this week by the very people that these activists claim are the real victims this week on Disaffected. Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens brought to you from dystopian Burlington, Vermont. Got to do a little correction here. Bloomberg News got something wrong last week, and that means that I got something wrong. Our lead story last week, we told you about a Bloomberg News analysis that said that the S&P 100 companies created more than 300,000 jobs in the period of, I believe, 2021 to uh, 2022. Bloomberg's analysis said that 94% of those newly created jobs went to people of color, and only 6% of those jobs went to white people. Well, the conservative outlet, The Daily Wire, got the numbers and re-ran them, and they say that Bloomberg got it badly wrong. Quote, Bloomberg, reaching for a way to isolate recent numbers, focused on the fact that companies increased their cumulative headcount by some 320,000 in 2021. Then they made a flawed leap of logic. They took the increase of minorities across the entire workforce and divided it by the new number of positions, not the number of actual hires. I'm not going to finish this quote. Uh, So Daily Wire claims that in reality, whites really got 46% of the new jobs, not only 6%. Basically, uh, I recommend that you read the Daily Wire article, but basically, there weren't 300,000 new jobs. These allegedly new jobs were actually newly created positions that replaced positions within companies that already existed. So most of the, quote, new hires were people who already worked in the company. Now, this was an attractive story because it seemed to confirm something that I think is going on and that uh, that many people think is going on. And I think we're right. Uh, Companies are openly discriminating against white people, especially men. I've seen dozens of job ads in prominent places that are blatantly illegal that say whites need not apply. That is real. It is actually happening, and it is illegal. Um, But 94% of them to people of color, I should have been more skeptical as Bloomberg should have. So apologies, audience. Now, let's have a little fun. If if you're a New Englander, you probably know that if you drive down to Massachusetts, if you go to New Bedford or Cape Cod, you can buy a ticket for an afternoon on a boat spotting whales. But for a staycation, try Walmart. For those of you listening, this is a scene from Walmart with a black woman um, who's being stopped for shoplifting. She's about to throw a fit. She just got up from her mobility device. Now she's throwing shit. She's going to clean out them Reese's sticks. Now 
Now she's being wrestled to the ground by a super hot cop. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> she just called him white trash. <laughs> This guy's like, I love Walmart. In case you didn't hear it, Walmart is racist. I'm sorry, maybe we should have blurred that. Again, Walmart is racist. Is it just one last one from the front? <laughs> it reminds me of when I was four years old and I used to irritate the shit out of my mother because I wasn't allowed to get up until a certain time on Saturdays and I would bounce up and down on my bed like Reagan McNeil in The Exorcist going, when can I get up? When can I get up? <laughs> it's the one time I don't blame her for beating me. All right, so how is this cluster B? Well, how is it not? This woman has a helping from each of the four categories. So we've got, let's go through them. Borderline, emotional instability, inability to control emotions. Narcissistic, she believes that she's entitled to free merchandise without punishment. Histrionic, that's too obvious, you don't need an explanation. Antisocial, or sociopath. This is a woman who lives a parasitic lifestyle of theft and shiftless laziness. This is your dumb sociopath, if we're to characterize her that way. You're seeing enough here to make a judgment. You don't need to, quote, know how she is at home, because you do know how she is at home. These, these behaviors are all what I call leading indicators when I think about cluster B. Normal range people never do things like this. On a bad day for a normal range person, it never goes this far. She's rational to believe that the cry of racism might have worked, and it might have. It didn't this time, but it might have. And look at the people all around her. They're all staring. It's the Roman Colosseum. Don't tell me that public executions would not be tolerated in this country. They absolutely would. We are exactly the same human beings as we ever were. People love this stuff. And you know what? It, it's normal. It's human. You're not a bad person if you can't take your eyes away from this. This is human. People, people are, are drawn to this stuff. Also, that cop was super fine. All right. Next in cluster B, we are used to crazed eco-activists who will do things like throw soup at Van Gogh paintings, and they glue themselves to the pavement to the annoyance of morning commuters on highways. And we're so used to this. This has become so normalized now that ecological terrorists, yes, I said terrorists and I mean it, ecological terrorists get interviewed on television as if they were normal people. 
who don't belong in prisons and don't belong in psychiatric hospitals. Take a look at this clip from UK television this week. How worse does it have to get? How many kids have to die? How many more young people have to do this stuff? I don't know what else to say, Anna. Why aren't you on the streets with us? That's all I can say. How do you explain your inaction? How do you explain it? Everyone here, all the presenters that we talked to, how do you explain your inaction? How much longer are you going to keep this journalistic objectivity up? Until the water's lapping at your ankles? Until your own kids haven't got food? How long? And, and for Just Up Oil, what's next? Will you continue to, to disrupt events? or of what's, what's the what's of the course. What's the plan? Because it's morally wrong to not take the action that we know from history has got some chance of having an effect. People feel powerless. We are the opposite. When we come together, we have enormous power. There are so many more of us than there are of them. Yeah. Did you catch that glint in her eye? We're going to talk about that in a second. We have so much power. That's what this is about. She says, are you going to keep on being objective? When are you going to stop trying to see the world as it is and give up to our emotional ideology? Are you going to keep going with facts? That's what this is about. Lying. Cluster B is lying. So that widening of her eyes, she goes, of course. Of course. She's getting a frisson, a little thrill. I've talked about this before. I've seen that exact look on my mother's face. At the moment, with these people, at the moment of their highest emotional arousal in any confrontational situation, when they're as stoked about their bullshit as they can possibly get, you will sometimes see that, that little, right? There's, it's a shiver, it's a flash of, of, of it's a thrill. There, it's a special thrill. My mother, it would happen sometimes when my mother had literally backed me into a corner physically. Um, and when, when she knew that I couldn't get away, you know, I'd get a little of this. Right? To me, that looks like something in the neighborhood of sexual arousal. And if it's not actually sexual pleasure, it's a kind of lust. Even if it isn't directly physical, it's a kind of lust. It, a poison kind of lust. Some commentators online said this woman was brainwashed. They said, look what happens to these people when these evil activist organizations get a hold of them and, and brainwash them. And yes, of course, she is a cult member. She is a member of an organization that, that does brainwashing. That is true. But this woman is not an innocent victim. She's not a poor, emotionally unstable fawn. There are some of those. She is not one of them. She's not a victim. She's not a hysterical borderline or a gullible histrionic, although she is performing histrionics. She knows exactly what she's doing, and she does not feel the sad emotions that she's trying to pantomime on television. Did you see any tears? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what else to say don't know what else to say. So you're going to try and fake cry. This looks more like psychopathic behavior to me than unstable borderline or histrionic behavior. Now we come to the end of this segment here and go back to Canada. <laughs> People were telling me online this week, I was complaining about some things in Vermont. Well, I'll give you an example. 
I've, I've told you a lot about the declining social standards here, the exploding crime rate. I told you how the city is beginning to look like San Francisco. We now have human feces on our city buses, on sidewalks. We have uh, syringes for drug use, littering sidewalks and grassways. And these are not just the rough parts of town. These are, this is now happening in tidy middle-class neighborhoods and in pretty parts of downtown. Burlington is actually a very beautiful city. It's, it's, it's not as beautiful as Montpelier. Montpelier is the picture postcard version of Vermont. And I mean that quite literally. Uh, when I rolled into Vermont more than 20 years ago uh, with a U-Haul truck, and I, and I came out off the highway into Montpelier and I saw it, I actually, the first thought I said was, is this Disneyland and did they just roll out Main Street USA Victoriana? Is this a set? Because it looks exactly like the postcards you've seen for New England and Vermont for the past 100 years. Burlington is almost that pretty, um, but not anymore. The rough spots are, are, are coming in. Uh, yesterday, as I was coming in, uh, no, the other day coming into the studio, there's a guy rollerblading through the University of Vermont campus, and he's stark bollocks naked, completely naked. Um, this is now normal. Yes, I know some of you Vermonters listening are going to remind me that it is legal in Vermont to be naked. Get this, guys. Get this. This is the kind of state I live in. It's legal to walk around nude in Vermont if you leave your house nude. The only way that it's illegal is if you disrobe in front of other people. You have to leave your house already naked. This place is so fucking retarded. Yeah, so he's just rolling through naked. And you know what made it even more obscene? He has completely shaved his crotch and all of his body. Something about that made it even dirtier. It was disgusting. All right. So anyway, Vermont is lower Canada. But let's go to Canada, Canada. Canada has revealed itself to be a failed Western state. It's full, fully into failed state now. There is no democracy and no republic, no representative republic left in Canada at all. Yes, yes, I understand it's part of the Commonwealth. I understand that it's tied to the monarchy. Got it, Canadians, okay? Justin Trudeau, the prime minister and the government, arrested truckers who protested the COVID shutdowns. They called them terrorists. They were quite successful in, in creating the perception among people watching mainstream media that these working class truckers who were saying enough is enough, we have to get to work, they were very successful in creating them as enemies that normal people looked at and wanted to spit on. Uh, they tried to take children away from the protesters. I don't know if they were successful, but they were very blatant about it. They said it right out in public. They didn't try to camouflage it. They actually said that they believed that these, these people should have their children taken from them. They debanked protesters. They shut down their bank accounts. Can, Canadians, did you know that your government had the power to do these things? Did, before this happened, did you know that? Do you know it now? Have you really internalized it? Do you live with that every day? You should be. You should, there should be no part of the day where you're not aware of this. It's not a dream. It's not something you can just put aside. You need to wake up faster than you are. Well, it doesn't stop there. We've seen, and we have seen pushback from a lot of Canadian citizens. A few weeks ago, we told you about the protests in almost a dozen Canadian cities. Thousands of people and families came out to say no to gender ideology, no to transgender indoctrination of children in public schools. For the first time 
sane people outnumbered the lunatic counter-protesters. That was the amazing part. We showed you some of that coverage from Substack, from Eva uh, Kurilova, from Matt Osborne, from the online publication The Distance. Um, but Canadians, we need you. You need you, actually. You need you. Canadians. You need you to keep it up, and we need you to send your best and bravest right now. Because it's not stopping, it's accelerating. This comes from um, this comes from the website thecountersignal.com. Yes, it's real. Yes, I've seen it confirmed on other media. Trudeau government moves to regulate podcasts. The Trudeau government's foray into podcast regulation is a concerning encroachment on free expression. Quote, the Trudeau government's recently passed Online Streaming Act is moving into its next phase of regulation by requiring podcasters to register with the Canadian Radio, Television, and Telecommunications Commission, CRTC. The government claims the regulation will, quote, ensure online streaming services make meaningful contributions to Canadian and Indigenous content, end quote. For, uh, first of all, may I point out the piss-poor, illiterate grammar. That's not English. Streaming services will make meaningful contributions to Canadian and Indigenous content. Contributions to content? Don't you mean cult? You goddamn idiots. You got that, Canadians? You don't get to have a voice now without the government monitoring it. You're a broadcaster now, and you better damn well service their Indigenous agenda. You better open everything with a fucking land acknowledgement. Ugh. I'll read you a little more. CRTC's announcement states that podcasters meeting certain criteria need to provide information about their activities in Canada. Online streaming services operating in Canada that offer audio or video content that generate $10 million or more in annual revenues must complete a registration form by November 28th. This is pitched as a one-time requirement collecting basic information. <laughs> sure, Jan. A one-time information collection, that's all. It's so easy. Why are you upset about something so easy? Aren't you blowing it out of proportion? The Toronto Sun's columnist Brian Lilly, who's done great work on this stuff, he had this to say, quote, The CRTC now wants to regulate podcasts. Here's my simple message to them. Go to hell. And then there's this, my favorite not a fucking chance, you sensorial scum rats. Dr. Jordan Peterson. I love harsh Jordan. Love it. <laughs> we'll finish this up here. Quote, liberals say the bill will promote Canadian content over non-Canadian content. They also say it will achieve equitable representation among gender, ethnicity, and related marginalized groups. Next quote, in terms of diversity and inclusion, one of the goals of the bill is to put diverse and marginalized voices in the spotlight. If you put any more spotlights on these people, they're going to combust in front of the cameras. <laughs> All right, time for a break, but we've got a treat for you coming up in the next uh, block of this show. After the break, we are going to be joined by Broadway veteran, singer, and actor, Clifton Duncan. He lost his career to the overreaction to the alleged pandemic, and he discovered that the New York art scene is full of obedient authoritarian foot soldiers and not the free creative spirits that he thought he knew. We'll see you after the break.
can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Are you ready? We've got Broadway veteran singer and actor Clifton Duncan, who has sat down to talk with us for about 20 minutes about what it was like to get canceled and lose his career and how he sees the art scene in America, but particularly on Broadway, very differently than he did uh, three or four years ago. And what you're about to hear, this is just 20 minutes, but Clifton and I sat down for some audio. So we've got an hour-long audio episode where we're going to continue this conversation that's coming out next week. Clifton, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Josh. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming. So this is the first time you and I have talked to each other directly. We've uh, we've talked to each other online a little bit over time, uh, but that's the extent to which we, we've conversed. Um, I wanted to have you on the show because I've, I have been paying attention to what you've been writing and saying for a couple of years now uh, since uh, what I refer to as the alleged pandemic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to accept that, but I'm, I'm disclosing that that is how I refer to it. Um, and you have really, you've, you've talked about something that I'm not seeing a lot of other people talk about, which is what the pandemic, but not, not the pandemic, how our societal shift that happened, I think that got supercharged by the alleged pandemic, uh, but that was happening already, how that has affected the arts and what has happened to you uh, is, in my view, appalling. Uh, you're not the only one it's happened to, but you certainly have had some trenchant commentary on uh, what COVID, so to speak, did to working artists. Um, can, can you give people a little, just a little bit about who you are, where you've been, and what happened? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, so thanks again. But uh, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a what they call a classically trained actor. I got my master's degree from New York University's graduate acting program, which is one of the top three conservatories in the country. The other two being Juilliard and the Yale School of Trauma, aka Yale. And, um, you know, I, I put the time in for just about a decade uh, around the country. And then my agents begged me to stay in New York. So then I began to work uh, in some acclaimed productions off Broadway. And then finally, 2017, made my uh, Broadway debut when I play called The Play That Goes Wrong. And uh, things began to take off from there, from uh, Broadway television, um, some award recognition here and there, which was nice. Um, so it seemed like all the work was paying off. And then 2020, um, the world kind of shut down. And um, at the beginning, you know, I, I say that I was very much in the COVIDian cult, as I call it. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sending my friends all these statistics and, uh, you know, I'm, and it, you know, I and it was funny because while everyone else was paying attention to Donald Trump's um, 
uh, first impeachment. Um, you know, I'm, I mean, I remember I spent about maybe two hours uh, just roaming around lower Manhattan one night. I mean, every CVS, every Duane Reed, every Walgreens I could find trying to find face masks. And I, I eventually ended up having to order them. This was like, like maybe late January, early February. I ended up ordering a box of 50 surgical masks from Amazon for about $75. So they were already a rare commodity. They were already uh, very hard to find. Um, but even but at that point, it was like, yeah, oh man, you know, masks aren't going to help you. It's just a flu bra, yada, yada, yada. I was being mocked <laughs> by people on the subway because I was one, it was like me and some middle-aged Dominican ladies. <laughs> the, the, the minority of people who were wearing uh, masks and gloves on the subway. Um, but then over time, you know, everything shut down and I just began to, question things because, you know, I had friends who uh, would, would send me, uh, there was one in particular, an op-ed by a, an eminent scientist named John Yanides, who um, is out at Stanford alongside Jay Bhattacharya and Scott Atlas, actually. And um, it was basically like, you know, this might not be as bad as we're making it out to be. And I was annoyed at the time, but I kind of kept that door open. And, and uh, over time, just, um, you know, to, to kind of truncate things. Things didn't really make sense. The policies didn't really make sense. It seemed like um, our numbers were going down, but yet the, the restrictions not only remained in some ways, but they were getting even worse. Um, and then in late 2020, um, December, I actually came down with, with the virus. And, you know, I lost my sense of taste for um, a few weeks. It was kind of weird, but, um, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty mild outside of that. Um, but then in March of 2021 or thereabouts, maybe April, um, the industry-wide uh, vaccine mandates came down. And even before then, I was getting emails from my former manager, um, you know, where obviously I got dropped. Um, but, you know, these theaters were doing what's called availability checks or interest checks with like, you know, we're, you know, we have projects coming up. Um, you know, is your client um, interested and available in, in this particular play or, or movie or whatever it is? And they were already asking, you know, are you or do you plan on being vaccinated against uh, COVID? At the time, I was like, you know, look, I'll, 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 I'll pay a hundred bucks that I don't have for a T-cell test or whatever to show that I've, you know, recovered from this thing. Um, but I'm not getting this fucking shot. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I don't know if no, we are uncensored. You don't have to apologize. Okay, good. Um, but, you know, but I'm just not getting this thing. And, um, I have my own reasons. One being that, you know, you know, we've, we've never had a successful vaccine for any coronavirus um, ever. And that remains true. Much, le much, le much less one that was developed from scratch and launched in under a year. You know what I mean? And it's just, but, but the funny thing is if you, if you ex the, 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 this is how inverted everything is, right? If you exercised caution and saying, I'm going to wait and see, or, you know, I just, I, I don't know about this. Then you were labeled an extremist by the people who said we should shut down society and you should wear things over your face and you yes. should be forced by the government or by, and, or by your employer to inject this experimental, uh, you know, uh, pharmaceutical agent into your system. So, um, you know, but the entire industry just became, um, I like the word, ensorcelled by this mania. Ah, uh, yes, you know, yes, the magical spell. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was just a, a huge panic. And uh, I mean, but but the, the seeds were sort of um, obvious early on. I mean, our, our union, the Stage Actors Union, Actors' Equity Association, sent out this email in March. And, this, and, by, and by the way, you, mean, you have to, you, you, you sort of have to acknowledge that uh, Trump, the election of Donald Trump really broke these people. 
Um, you, you could not go anywhere without people talking about how much they hated him and how, you know, our country is being run by Putin. I mean, these yes. people who call me conspiracy theorist, but, they, but they're saying that Russia has, you know, stolen our election, basically. And um, so they're already brain damaged by, by what's going <laughs> on. And then the George Floyd riots erupted. And then it was the pandemic, you know what I mean? All this stuff at the same time, it was insane. So these people's brains were already cooked by this time. There was no logic. I had a former friend who said, I don't even want any good news about COVID because of racial justice. So the, the union was talking about, you know, we know that the old adage, the show must go on is outdated and unjust. <laughs> a, I, <know>. a <laughs> I was going to ask you, give us, give us some examples. This is amazing because you characterized this a few minutes ago as, as industry-wide vaccine mandates. Um, I can't bring them to mind. I remember some of the specific examples I've seen you put on social media like Twitter. Some of the statements that I, that I saw from uh, people who appeared to be, run particular theaters or, uh, or theater companies were just jaw-dropping to me. Um, what, can you, what happened? When did you know? Let me put it this way. Actually, let me back up even a little bit more. Where, what part of the country, where, where were you born and raised, Clifton? Uh, well, I'm an army brat. So the, the easy answer okay. to that question is Germany, Virginia, Belgium, and Virginia in that order. Gotcha. Okay. How how long um, now? How long have you lived in New York City? Um, I was I moved there in in 2006 under the Bloomberg administration, and then I, I escaped in June of 2020. Okay. And as somebody who was in the arts, I mean, I, I you know challenge me or push back if I get any of this wrong, of course. But here's how it looks to me. Um, the arts. There, I don't think there's any dispute that the arts, particularly the arts in New York City, are entirely left. This is left side of the political spectrum. Very. Um, I mean, it's just. I think absolutely uncontroversial. Um, and you know, of course, uh, you probably know. Um, I used to be on the left myself. I no longer consider myself a leftist. Um, I was, as somebody outside the arts, shocked and surprised, and I think I probably was naive and I shouldn't have been as shocked and surprised, but I was. Um, I thought of artists, particularly, if you'll excuse the cliche, bohemian, artistic, striving New York artists, et cetera, et cetera, that these would be the people who tooted their own horn, went their own way, uh, weren't going to fall into lockstep. And, and it very quickly became obvious that, that that was not the case. For you, as a working artist and somebody who worked in New York, was this a surprise to you or was it not? Oh, it was shocking. It was absolutely shocking. And, um, you know, myself, I mean, I still cling to the, to the label of liberal, um, you know, just but I guess and, I, and I, I don't like the term classical liberal because I feel like it's people using saying that to excuse, you know, they're really conservative, but they won't say liberal. I mean, I just feel okay. like in my makeup, my, my constitution, um, you know, that that's that, that's just where I lean. However, um, it, it just it wasn't always this bad. Um, it was definitely liberal, but it wasn't always. But I think after 2010 or so. And then, and then exponentially so after about 2015, and again, particularly after Trump was elected, um, you know, these ideas about, uh, I mean, like critical theory and postmodernism, um, hyper Marxism, if you want to say that, yeah. say that much, which is it just skyrocketed. And so by the time, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, um, because also I think what didn't exist decades ago is that now you have every year there's a new 
fresh batch of newly minted, you know, BFA students, MFA students who've gone to college, they've majored in, you know, acting or design or directing or writing. Mm -hmm. And so what's happened now is like you have people who have endured uh, 16 years or if they're in an MFA program, what, 19 years almost mm -hmm. of, of left wing indoctrination. They have no idea that there's another way to look at the world. They have no idea that they don't even know what they don't know. And so, and as the generations go on, they're more and more radicalized and they're more and more authoritarian from a left-wing perspective. And they, you know, they watch MSNBC, they read the New York Times, they watch CNN, they don't visit any other media or any other, they don't even engage with any other ideas outside of what they think they know. And so the, the point that I'm getting at is that there were some interesting Pew data that came out uh, a few years ago about who the progressive left really is. And it's about 68% white, 48% uh, college educated. So you have the, the sort of mores and the worldview of this, I call them the bourgeoisie now. Um, which, <laughs> nice. Uh, which have infested, yeah, I love it. It's not, it's not mine, I call it the blue bourgeoisie, but then a person named Randall, Block, uh, Randall Bach um, conflated the two terms into a bourgeoisie. But so now the, the sort of worldview, the social vision of the bourgeoisie is what dominates the industry now. It's no longer, you know, maybe working class or sort of scrappy professionals. Now it's people who want, who are part of this affluent um, society, and they want to maintain that. And, and those are the views that they espouse. And so it's, and it's, and though that particular worldview is moving further and further away from the rest of the country, which is more moderate, or they're more liberal, not very liberal, or they're more conservative, and they have no yeah. idea about that because they're in their, they're in an echo chamber. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I used to be in that echo chamber, you know, so most of the stuff that I talk about and criticize on this show was true of me. I mean, I've seen this from the inside. I was a true believer. Um, you probably know uh, this show has a hypothesis, and, and the way we see things is that our society is now structured along what, I, you know, cluster B rules, and what I mean by that, of course, is, is cluster B uh, personality traits, narcissism. Uh, emotional instability, histrionic expression of emotions, um, falsely creating yourself to have the image of a victim so that people will allow you to get away with bad behavior and you can victimize other people. It's a, a large series of reversals. Black is white, good is bad, bitter is sweet, all of these things. And, you know, it's it brings up the, the question, we're not going to solve this in one conversation, but, you know, you say, I you said a moment ago, I still cling to, to the idea of liberal, right? Um, what does that mean? And, and that's sort of a general question for all of us. I think we, we, we all should think about that and, and, and have an answer for it. But given that there's so much realignment um, of, of what used to be left-wing positions are now considered right-wing positions, positions that I would have considered right-wing and conservative now seem uh, absolutely uncontroversial to me in some cases. What, for Clifton Duncan, what does a liberal mean in your perfect world? Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Because, you know, if you ask me, I mean, liberty, you know, the, the base word of liberal, uh, you know, a, as much freedom as we can allow, um, freedom from government, freedom from social pressure, um, as long as we're not hurting other people. And I, I, you know, and this extends to me, you know, the, the idea of even sexual freedom, you know, or the, the freedom to love who you love, these mm -hmm. kinds of things. Um, 
but even in an economic sense, you know, as as free, the more that people are free to choose what they want to buy or what they want to sell, these kinds of things, um, you know. So I, I just are you a capitalist, Clifton? Do you, are you saying that capitalism oh. is okay? It's I, I, oh my god, Josh, it's so bad. But like I can't even thing. believe what I'm hearing. <laughs> But but this is but it's 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 ridiculous because you know and I go back to the industry right you know narcissism I recently spoke to Dr Drew about this who was who was mm -hmm. very uniquely placed um, because of his proximity to Hollywood and yes. his um, his interactions with celebrities over the years so we were talking about you know the, this this pursuit of fame you're already talking about an industry which attracts people who have a hole inside of them and they have a need to fill that hole with you know these ideas of i'm famous or i'm cool i'm popular whatever it is yes and i guess i've always been an outlier because i've never been motivated by that but but you've been I around it you've been around it your whole career i mean I, I i assume that even even before you came to your current ideas like for example i when i talk about hollywood and i use hollywood expansively i i mean I don't just mean Hollywood itself, the city in California. I mean the entertainment world at that level. I, I think of Hollywood as a graveyard for personalities. I, I think of it as a place that people, I, I, yeah, I know it's not, I know, yeah, it's clever, but, but I mean it seriously. Um, you know, it, you, entertainment, by, by its nature, I think this has always been this way, is going to have a much higher percentage of people with um, some combination of profound insecurities, Right. Um, a lot of talent that maybe they use the wrong way or or don't quite know how to use the right way. This is not an industry for this is an industry that's going to attract very emotional people, sometimes very emotionally unstable people, some desperately talented people, but who cannot keep themselves together. That 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 didn't that didn't just happen with covid. I'm sure you've seen that, you know, in, right. in your career. Well, well, here's the thing, and, and I have a few responses to that. One, um, there's a great story that uh, uh, the great Sir Laurence Olivier, uh, one of the most celebrated actors of the 20th century, was doing a film called Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman. And Dustin Hoffman relates this story where they were eating lunch one day, and um, and Dustin was just like, you know, Larry. And Dustin was is is notoriously neurotic in his approach um, to to his characters. And, um, you know, he, a lot of us, we beat ourselves up uh, as actors. And part of it is the sort of insecurity you're talking about, because we know, I mean, we're on stage, we're being looked at, we're there sure. to be looked at. And, um, but, uh, but Dustin, you know, he goes, Larry, why do we do it? Just why do we do it? And apparently in the middle of this restaurant, the great Laurence Olivier gets up and leans over the table and just goes, look at me, 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 look at me. And, and so the idea is, you know, you, and there's a great, another great story about Warren Beatty, who I think is someone who really sort of owned the fact that um, there is a lot of vanity and and narcissism in what we do um you know he's like my look my greatest shots are from 10 a.m to 2 p.m that's when i look my best and that's that's when we're shooting my close-ups and so he sort of owned that and i own it as well you look at the old acting books right the, the sort of uh, classic um uh, treatises mm -hmm. and they say look work on your body why because people are paying to look at you you're being that is true at. That is you true. You know what I mean, and and that's and that's a part of it. And I me, mean, you know, I have my own abandonment issues, these kinds of things, um, yeah. and you know. But th there's a difference. However, you have to have a responsibility for yourself. There's a difference between um, wanting to be seen and needing to be seen. When I'm working on stage or on camera, that's when I want to be seen. But after the show is done, I want to disappear into the anonymity of the city and the subway and take. Yeah. And you know, my my job is done.
And, yeah. you know, and on top of that, you talk about the emotionality. Yes, that's part of the difficulty, isn't it? Because we're as actors, as artists, we're highly emotional, open vessels. That's part of our job. However, yeah. your responsibility as a craftsperson is to be able to marshal that openness and, and use it as a weapon in service of your craft. It's not an excuse to, you know, to, to slop all over everything and, and to be, um, you know, the sort of live nerve. You have to be able to control these sorts of things. This is why I always advocate for mental health. You know, you have to be you have to be in touch with yourself. You have to know what what your what your wounds are, but you can't use that as an excuse um, to, I guess, aggress upon or emotionally blackmail other people. They are, you know, that is your gold. Um, that that's that's your gold mine as an artist to be able to use. I mean, I'm reading Othello right now. It's mm -hmm. such a brilliantly emotional play, such a, a wonderfully well constructed play. There's so much sadness. There's so much. Um, um, there's love. There's there's betrayal. There's all the stuff in there, and you have to know as an artist, as a mature artist, as someone with technique and craft, you know what those triggers are for you, and you use them in service of the character. But in your life. Be a be a human being. You know what I mean, and that yes. that's what the technique is about. And people just don't. You know, we have a very coddled generation, especially of, of Zoomers, and they don't get that. Yes. And you know, and I think I think your hypothesis is very very accurate. And unfortunately, there's just a lot of people, especially in the entertainment industry, um, in the arts industries, which um, who ha who have been allowed to. You know, because old, like older actors from older generations, they don't play that. They they they, they don't behind closed doors. They they will complain about this kind of stuff, but they don't have the courage <laughs> to really push back against it. Um, yeah, they, well, they can and who, see what's who, happening as well? Who can these days? You know, because you you get canceled for everything. Of course, you and I are going to go into more detail and in, uh, um, uh, during the audio. Uh, extended audio conversation that we're going to have. Uh, folks who are watching this show or listening to this, this is kind of a teaser for a longer conversation uh, that Clifton and I have on audio. We can dive into this a little bit more. But as we come up to the end here, um, tell people where they can find you. What are you doing now and where's the best place to look for you online? Sure. So you can find me on Twitter at Clifton A. Duncan. Um, I also have a burgeoning YouTube channel. It's Clifton Duncan, my first and last name. I also have a podcast called the Clifton Duncan Podcast. I've made all this easy to remember. Um, and I, uh, lastly but not least, I, um, I've really been enjoying writing lately. So I, I have a Substack, uh, I, although everyone has mm -hmm. one now. So sorry yep. for the extra emails. Uh, but <laughs> it's called this. <laughs> it's called the State of the Arts. Um, I'm working nice. on a piece right now about the about. Uh, about how progressives have killed the arts, or the theater specifically, and how no one's going to do anything about it. So, um, I, I would love it if you join there. I'm also I'm also verified on Rumble, and I have a locals uh, channel as well, which I'm going to be building up soon. So, uh, lots of stuff happening. I've, I'm really committed to the whole content creation <laughs> side of things because I can't work as an actor anymore. So that's that's the uh, that's the bluntness, the blunt truth about it. Yeah, well, um, you're speaking for a lot of people, uh, Clifton. Thanks very much. Um, and audience, we'll see you on the other side. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today.
Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Fifteen to twenty years ago, I went to Memphis to give a talk professionally. There were a group of women hosting me, southern, nice white southern ladies. They were hosting me and ferrying me around town, taking me to get, you know, things I needed at the store, toiletries, <coughs> a little driving tour of the city. Uh, they needed gas in the car, and we were going by gas stations, and uh, they decided to skip a particular gas station in the black part of town that we were driving through. Um, the parking lot was filled with Cadillacs with gold wheels, uh, men with do-rags and gold teeth, um, and screeching baby mamas who started yelling before they even got into the store. That was the scene. This is very typical in these parts of town. Um, they didn't want to stop there. They said, this is not a great part of town. We're not going to get gas here. I said nothing, of course, but in my mind, I was making fun of them. Remember, this is me from 15 or 20 years ago, not me today. I thought of them as silly, racist white women. What are they scared of? They're just assuming that there's something rough or dangerous about this place just because they're black people, and that's how Southerners are. That's what I told myself. That version of me reminds me of this woman that we showed you last week, and we're going to show you again right now. Seattle decriminalized drug use, and then they criminalized it again. Oh, my God. Who are you getting these facts from? You're from New York. Apparently, you're listening to the wrong people. I Girl. saw people shooting up on my way down here. Oh, did you? Okay. And they were bothering you? I was in a car, but, you know, people... Oh, oh no, people you're in a car! Oh, no, they were hurting you so bad! Oh, no! I don't know about you, but every time I watch that, I get angrier at her. I, I, I'm not going to do it myself, but I, I would not cry any tears if someone walked up and backhanded her. I carried that same stupid attitude with me that I used with my hosts in Memphis and that this stupid bitch from Seattle has. I, I carried it with me when I traveled a couple of years later to give a talk in Detroit. And the night before my talk, I'm staying in a hotel. I've never been to Detroit before. I decided that I, want some boo I wanted some booze and some gay male company. Of course, I had already pre-gamed, so when I left my hotel on foot, I was already drunk. And I walked into the only gay bar that I could find in that part of town, which was, well, I mean, what part of Detroit isn't the black part of town? But this was a really rough part of town. I walked in, it was a gay bar full of men, and I was the only white boy in there, only one. A smooth-talking man sat down with me and flattered me, which worked really, really well, bought me enough drinks that I got myself pickled, and accompanied me back to my hotel for a nightcap. He turned out to be a prostitute, and, when I, and I didn't know this. This is how naive I was. When I wouldn't pay him, he started strangling me. I managed to get him off me and out of my hotel room door, but I'm lucky that I'm not dead. And I thought it was just fine to walk anywhere I wanted and it would be 
utterly racist to think that there was any danger to me in an all-black bar in one of the roughest parts of town being a white boy who was 28 years old. Mm-hmm. I learned my lesson, didn't I? That would have been the wages of my stupidity. Had I been seriously hurt, I would have been responsible for walking into that situation. And as we showed you last week, Pava Marie LaPere carried this attitude as well. She is the 26-year-old tech CEO who worked as an anti-racist and said things like, we need to stop criminalizing black bodies. She was found murdered last week on the rooftop of her secure apartment building. And the suspect is this gentleman, Mr. Jason Dean uh, Billingsley. Is that right? Yeah, Jason Dean Billingsley. Uh, these are his mugshots you're seeing. The first one's from 2011. He was arrested, uh, what was he arrested and in, in imprisoned for in 2011? Uh, assault. Then in 2013, he was also arrested and uh, sentenced to prison for what? Attempted rape. But he was released early for good behavior. Good behavior. Now he's charged with murdering LaPere. By the way, she let him into that secure building because he said he, he lost his key. So she was like, okay, I guess I'll let him in. And then she rode an elevator alone with him up to her floor, and he beat her and killed her. Woke is cluster B is cluster B is woke. Woke has been telling us for years not to notice things. It's been telling us that our intuitions about danger are bigotry. It's told us that we can't judge human books by their covers. We are explicitly told everywhere in this culture to shut down our senses, stop detecting danger, and to morally berate ourselves for making intuition judgments based on what we can see. And definitely, don't pick up on danger signals and do not ever try to make a pattern in your head. That will make you a bigoted racist. Worse, woke has trained us to give ourselves a dopamine boost that feels good when we deny our intuitions. When we tamp it down, we feel good about ourselves. When we rise above them and walk into the danger, we tell ourselves what good people we are, what enlightened people we are. This appears to be a motivation for the behavior of a man that you're gonna see in this next video. This is video that shows the stabbing murder of Ryan Carson in New York City. Don't worry, you don't actually see the stabbing itself. It's been cut out. It, <clears throat> it happens in the video, edit. Edit, edit. Yeah, that too. <clears throat> Take a look. For those of you just listening, this is a street in Manhattan. It's four in the morning. Ryan Carson is a uh, looks to be about thirty. He's with his girlfriend. He's following a, a guy who walked by in a hoodie who looks very sketchy. They're just following him. Now the guy is is kicking trash cans and vehicles. Ryan is approaching him, affirmatively approaching him. He's saying, I'll kill you. Ryan's saying, chill, chill. Now he's been stabbed. He's dying. Okay, the first thing I'm going to talk about here is what I perceive to be the incredibly strange behavior of his girlfriend. No. No. Shock 
does not sufficiently explain this for me. I, I already hear the objection. I've already been told the objection. No, I do not believe that shock explains her behavior. It is possible. But on balance, no, I don't believe that. Yes, I know that people react differently in extreme situations. Yes, I also understand fight, flight, or freeze. I have taken these into account. I don't need to be reminded to think of these things. I'm saying I have already taken them into account and I still judge her behavior to be strange. Something is very wrong with her reaction. I detect a distinct lack of fear and a distinct lack of emotional impact from seeing her boyfriend murdered. He's bleeding out on the street. Do I know for sure that there's something wrong with her? No, I don't know that for sure. But yes, something is very off here with this woman and that's not explained away. I don't know what to tell you. But let's go through everything that Ryan did wrong here. Ryan was carrying with him the same kinds of attitudes, but more extreme, that got me into trouble on my trips. So he was on the street with his woman at 4 a.m. in New York City without a gun, with no means of protecting himself. That was mistake number one. A sketchy guy walks by. Uh, guy, I'm sorry, no, no, I'm not sorry. We're going to tell it straight like it is. A young black man of about 18 or 19 uh, with a hoodie pulled up over his head, it's not cold outside, walking by, is somebody I would cross the street to get away from. Yes, and all of you know it. Even if you hate listening to this, you know it. They didn't cross the street. Not only did Ryan and his girlfriend not cross the street, they followed the sketchy guy on the same side of the street. They walked toward him. Then, sketchy guy started kicking trash cans. He was clearly indicating, I am violent and I am getting more violent while you watch me. Then it appears that he's either trying to kick in the window of a car, perhaps it's a motorcycle, it's hard to see. Ryan continues to walk up to this man while he is kicking and trying to break glass. Ryan chose to walk up to him. What did he think he was going to do? Help him? He made himself the target. He chose to do this. He ignored every danger signal and warning flag that would have gone off in his gut if he had not trained himself and been trained by his woke friends to believe that normal human danger intuition makes you racist. He pushed it all down. He endangered his girlfriend and himself by doing this. The minute that kid walked by, he should have grabbed her by the arm and escorted her across the street and walked in the opposite direction like any fool knows to do. Ryan Carson, of course, was a big old lefty social justice activist, naturally. He looked as you would expect him to look. Can we put his picture up there, Kevin? Big smile, big toothy, toothy, toothy smile with Harry Potter glasses. Hi, hi, Ryan. I'm friendly, very friendly. <laughs> no, don't tell me it's just one picture. I've seen a bunch of them. Let's take a look at another one. Here's Ryan. Oh, isn't that cute? He's, he's sitting cross-legged with a big toothy grin, big toothy grin with a shirt that says, have heart. You know, he's on the dock. He's on a dock in front of a, a little lake or a pond. Isn't that sweet? Doesn't he, just, doesn't he just ooze love? Love and caring for everybody? Have heart. You don't have one now. 
because that man put a dagger literally in your heart. Look at the good you do. Ryan Carson wanted everyone to know the good he did. That's why he plastered it all over social media. He also wanted everyone to know <clears throat> all the bad that those crazy, stupid, jacked-up, bigoted conservatives were doing. He hated cops and had no problem encouraging violence against them. Here are some of his tweets. First one. Look, I know be I'm beating my own dead horse here, but from seeing comrades throw things back at cops tonight, leftists absolutely need to get into sports, if for no other reason so they can throw something without hitting their comrades. <laughs> he had a couple of Twitter accounts. This one he calls himself Art School Jock. <laughs> You're so cute. So kawaii, Ryan. No, I'm not saying nice things about the dead. Deal with it. Here's the next one. Hi, political organizer here. It's not bullying to hold elected officials accountable. That being said, I would love to shove this little fucking nerd in the locker where he belongs. He also liked to gloat about the death of conservatives. Here he is reacting to the death of Rush Limbaugh. L-M-A-O, hell yeah. L-M-A-O, Ryan Carson wasn't kind, was he? He was a nasty son of a bitch. Nice people aren't actually nice. Nice people are not nice. They're vicious. And to top it all off, his lazy Marxist parasite friends are collecting money off his death for themselves. Here's their GoFundMe. Hi, everyone. We are a collective of Ryan's close friends reeling from a brutal loss. We are asking for your help on behalf of his partner in easing the burden and stress of this horrifying situation so that we can have space and time to grieve and remember Ryan. Immediate needs are to offset the costs of working class people taking time off work to properly mourn. They, ha they couldn't stop. They couldn't stop their Marxist bullshit, even in death. Pay us. Don't pay his family. Don't pay his mom and dad. Don't pay for his funeral. Don't even pay his girlfriend directly. Pay us, his friends, so that we can take time off to mourn properly like those bourgeoisie do. You disgusting, parasitic pigs. Mm. You know which other white social justice activist this week seems not very nice to me? The other one who got killed this week, allegedly by another 18-year-old black man who shot him seven, uh, you know what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a, a caution asterisk on that. I believe that I saw that they found a suspect, but I might be wrong. So I'm going to retract that right now. Um, I'll, we'll bring you the full story next week when I can get my facts in order. This stuff is moving quickly. Another social justice activist got killed this week, shot to death in his own home. His name was Josh Kruger. He was in Philadelphia. Here he is. Here he is with his cat. Take a look at his facial expression. No, this is not the only picture that displays his facial expression. I'm not plucking one out of context. One another? Here it is. What does that face tell you? What do you think of when you see that? You know what that is? That's a Joan Crawford expression. It's a challenging, domineering 
expression. And I saw it in almost all of the photographs I've seen of him, including the ones he chose for his own profiles. Take a look at this one. Mmm. The eyes have it. I'll read to you from coverage from Philadelphia's ABC News affiliate. The victim of a homicide in Philadelphia has been identified as a local journalist and community activist. Josh Kruger, 39, was shot seven times in his own home in the 2300 block of Watkins Street in the Point Breeze section around 1.30 a.m. Monday. He died at Penn Presbyterian Hospital about 45 minutes later. There was no word on motive for the shooting. No arrests have been made. Sources confirmed to Action News there were no signs of forced entry. The home does have cameras, but it's unclear if they captured any images of the shooter. Friends say he had recently posted online about threats, including an incident where he filed a police report after his home was vandalized in late August. Kendall Stevens, a black trans activist, says Kruger helped her after she was violently attacked in 2020. She wants answers about her friend. Quote, he was more than just a journalist. He was more than just a community member. He was somebody who fought the great fight. Stevens said. So many of us aren't able to fight that fight, end quote. District Attorney Larry Krasner said in a statement that Kruger was an, quote, openly queer writer who wrote about his own journey surviving substance use disorder and homelessness. Mr. Krasner, don't you mean unhousedness? Don't you mean a man of homeless experience? You're going to see when we give you some quotes here, Josh Kruger didn't like Mr. Krasner. Not one bit. Like Ryan Carson, Josh Kruger also didn't like reality. He didn't like conservatives, and like our Seattle friend, he liked rolling around in the social decay and mocking people who didn't want to get down in the pig wallow with him. Here are some of his tweets. Some idiot just said you're more likely to get shot and killed than die of COVID in Philly to make some insensitive rhetorical point for, quote, his side. Folks, four times as many Philadelphians have died of COVID than gunshots this year. I understand that math is hard, but do better. Do better. Hmm. I think we're all doing just fine, aren't we? I don't believe that either. All those people didn't die of COVID. Not when we know that people who literally walked in front of a bus and got struck by it were coded as a COVID death. <laughs> Come on. Next tweet, look, it's that lawless land of liberals in Philly where shootings are, dot, 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 dropping to levels not seen in years. I'm sorry, I shouldn't over-egg this with it. I, I, it's, it's just, it's so hard to take these people seriously. Here's another one. Kruger says, now that I'm no longer in government, I can finally say publicly it's not wrong to punch Nazis. You get the picture. Smug, reality denying, morally superior to everyone else. Look at the good I do. Cops are bad. Conservatives are bad. People who notice crimes are bad. And social media has been nothing but strangers wailing and gnashing their teeth about how devastated and sad they are about these deaths. How deeply they feel for these men, even though they don't agree with them. 
what ghouls the rest of us are for suggesting that it is in fact the way of the world that people will face the consequences of the choices that they make. Strangers aren't actually heartbroken. Strangers aren't devastated. That's not how humans work psychologically. It's not real. It's never been real. We don't feel for strangers in distant lands the way we feel for our own and our closest, the way that we claim we do. This is, modern, this is a modern lie that is made possible only by modern life in digital technology. I'm not happy that these people have been murdered, but I'm not broken up over it either. The harsh truth is that the people who are working to degrade our society are never going to stop degrading our society until they get hurt for their actions, not us, them. We, the rest of society, we have been paying the price for their activism. Why should they not pay the price? Why is it mean to say that? Why is it outrageous and awful to suggest that they are facing consequences that they asked for? And it is better that they face them than people like me or people like you and your family who didn't ask for those consequences. Why is it okay that we pay the price with our crumbling law enforcement, our cities that are going to hell, our children who are being abused and indoctrinated at school, but when we suggest that it is more proper for them to face the consequences, we get called sociopaths. No, no. I don't feel glee for their deaths. I feel nothing. Good night.